Today on Radical Personal Finance, let's talk about money and marriage. So husbands and wives share a bed. Should they share a bank account too? Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you so much for being with me today. We continue our interview blitz on Radical Personal Finance. Check back in October for more of the normal flow of the show if you get tired of interviews. But today, I got a good one, so give it a shot. My guest is Derek Olson. He and his wife, Carrie, have written a book entitled One Bed, One Bank Account, Better Conversations on Money and Marriage. This is a subject that I think affects <laughs> if you every couple that's out there. How on earth do we handle our money and how do we communicate about our money? And uh, I'm not even going to pretend to say that I've got it all figured out. I've got a little bit of experience, but being married, what, a little over three years now, I think. I, I think I'm just starting to scratch the surface on my own practical experience. But uh, my guest today, he and his wife have endeavored to take this on and tackle the subject in a straightforward manner. And I hope that it's useful to you. Money certainly affects every part of our lives and our relationships certainly affect every part of our lives and they affect each other. So (laughs) hard for me to think of a subject that's more important. Special bonus tip before I hit play on the interview here. Stay tuned. You're going to hear me come back and wrap up uh, at the end of the interview. But then following that is a special bonus portion of the interview. What happened is I did a full normal interview with Derek and then later after I turned the recorder off, I found out that he and his wife are actually living a pretty hardcore radical lifestyle. So stay tuned after part one for part two and you'll hear a little bit about the realities of what they're doing right now. Here we go. Derek, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Had you on today, we were, we were trying to get you and your wife together because we're right. going to talk about couples' finances, but as is normal with many couples, she's taking care of, uh, of your daughter. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's nap time. That's the, life that, uh, that's the life that we face as parents, and yeah. then we're happy to do it. So we'll have to do the male perspective uh, uh, today, but hopefully you, me, you and she wrote a book together. So make sure you properly present uh, her perspectives and her sides, sure, and we'll I be can, good to go. I can speak for her a little bit. We'll see if I you know, say anything dumb and she can correct me later. Yeah, I was going to say, remember, she's going to listen to this. So you got to make sure you accurately represent her perspective. Sure. So uh, as a quick start, introduce yourself. Share with us a little bit about your background as it relates to money and how that wound up with you and your wife, Carrie, just writing a book. Right. So my name is Derek Olson. The website is DerekandCarrie.com. And on the website, we encourage couples to have better conversations about money We've written a book called One Bed, One Bank Account. It's a book and a workbook combination, and it's also in audio form. And the the way we got started was um, an event in our life early on in our marriage. When we were engaged, actually, Carrie had previously bought a house before we even met. And um, 
when we were engaged, the house was in danger of being foreclosed on. Mm -hmm. And we're heading towards our wedding date, and I'm looking at the situation going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, you know, I, I was debt-free at the time, and, and here she is bringing in a house that's about to be foreclosed on, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. What am I going to you know, do? Right? What, what am I getting into here? And so fast forward a little bit, and we uh, avoided foreclosure just barely because we did a short sale, mm -hmm. which is still bad, but not, I guess, not as bad. Um, but that, you know, that's kind of like, you know, people say, oh, it's not as bad as a foreclosure. Well, that's kind of like saying that 120 degrees outside is hot and 122 degrees is hot. And it's like, well, it, it, you know, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's all right. hot. Right. So we did a short sale, which basically one way you can look at it is she brought the house into the marriage and I had to write a very large check because I brought the money into the marriage. I had to write a huge check to make this situation go away right so that's where our marriage started did you consider not getting married very because i did of it? not not even for a second but that a lot of people have brought that up because because i'm sure that's happened i mean i'm sure that happens all the time when you know if you're dating or maybe you're even engaged well let's let's say you're dating and you find out that this person's in a horrible you know two hundred thousand dollars in debt or whatever I'm sure that that has ended relationships before marriage. I mean, if it ends, it ends marriages. Right. So you've got to think that it ends relationships even before marriage. Once you get into, I mean, marriage is very much a business relationship. Mm. And once you've been married a little while and the, the feelings of love and the feelings of the fluttery heart wait, you know, <laughs> wear off as they always will, mm. you're in a business relationship and that stuff matters. That's very true. That's very true. So... But the thing for us was we went through this, what you could say was a financial disaster. I mean, this was within three months of getting married. Okay, so we were dealing with this all through our engagement, uh, literally during our honeymoon. And, and two months after we got uh, married was when the short sale was finally That's a romantic done. honeymoon. Yeah. Here, honey, we got another <laughs> offer from the attorney today. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, but here's the positive side and here's where, uh, I'm, uh, this is, I guess, a long way to sort of answer your question. Where did all this come from? Um, we had to get on a budget. I mean, we had to, there was no other option and we had to work together to make this whole short sale thing, um, to, to, to bring it to a conclusion and get past it. And it actually turned out to be really good for our relationship. How so? Teamwork, communication, getting on the same page, um, uh, grace, <laughs> understanding, patience. I mean, we had to practice it all. And so that was the thing that fascinated me about the whole situation and ultimately got us into what we're doing now. I realized that you could turn what essentially is a tough situation, a situation that ultimately can break apart marriages and relationships, and you can actually use that for good. So you started in a place of disconnection. Would you say that at this point, you and Carrie have been able to learn to communicate more effectively about money? Uh, yes. Although, does, it ever, does it ever crop up as far as like the feelings of frustration of, yes. I brought all the money? Okay. <laughs> oh, no, not, not that so much. Uh, immediately when we got married, what was mine was ours and what was hers was ours. So there is no, um, there was never any gosh, you know, this is my money or your money and I'm upset because it was uneven or unequal or whatever. There was never any of that from the beginning. It was, it was very much, this is ours. 
because the, the challenge is so when my wife and I got married, we weren't facing financial disaster like that. Mm. But one of the challenges that we've faced is I had been starting a couple of businesses and I had made some stupid business decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, instead of having some very profitable years, I had made some bonehead business decisions and I had, they had been very expensive. So when we came, my wife, on the other hand, was she's excellent as far as being frugal and careful. And she'd been working. She hadn't made a lot of money, but she'd saved a lot of money. And uh, I, we both had money saved. But because of my stupid business decisions, all of my money was locked away in retirement accounts. And her, she had some money in retirement accounts as well, but she had a lot more liquid money. And we have a an excellent relationship. We're able to share with one another and talk with one another. But even still to this day, it still crops up from time oh, yeah. to time as far as that feeling of resentment. And we work through uh. it and we talk about it. But uh, even though I'm with you, when, when we married, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine, and there's no going back. It's, yeah. it, this, we're in it together. We're one. But that doesn't mean that the emotions are all no, solved. Absolutely not. No way. I mean, even to this day, um, it's, it's, it's not something that you just... Uh, well, here's one thing that I often say is that money is not something that you solve. It's something that you manage. And so it's, 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 or a better way to put it actually is money is not a problem that you solve. Money is a problem that you quote manage. And, and I would even say that it's not even a problem. But anyway, it's something that you manage, not something that you solve and, and move on to other things never to return. It's continual and it, and it's, and it provides space for growth continually, I think, throughout the entirety of a relationship. So what led to writing a book? So I got really, really excited about, I had never done a budget before all of this, and we got on a budget, and it just changed everything. I mean, I, I was actually kind of kicking myself, well, why haven't I been doing a budget this whole time? <laughs> now, this is amazing. You know, I mean, But you had money, right? You had done yeah. well financially, even well, without a budget. Without a budget, I just knew that I was... Um, making more than I spent. Okay. I knew that because I actually the, the moment I got my first real job out of college, I immediately started putting $200 a paycheck mm -hmm. into a, um, uh, a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. And then I immediately, I think I had to wait a year. I maxed out the, or I, I don't know if I maxed it out. I guess you don't max out a 401k. Signed but up I, for it. Yeah, I signed up for it. And I think I did, I was doing the max match, right. I guess, four percent or whatever it was. So I you know, geez, I was putting away maybe five hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. that, that's that's a pretty decent chunk. And so I had that going and I just knew that I was uh, making more than I spent. But I got on this we got on this budget and I just just got so excited about it. And I actually started coaching other people within oh I think within within a year, but I think six months after we got on our budget, I was coaching other people. That got me really excited. And I was creating my own spreadsheets and I, that I would print off mm -hmm. myself and go help coach, coach people. And um, after a little while, about another six months later, I realized, hey, I could just take all these worksheets and, and turn them into a book. And, uh, and then I'd have a book that I could sell. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually, we actually had another book that's been previously unpublished called The Four-Week Financial Turnaround. We figured everything out ourselves. We self-published it. It was in print and Kindle, and it did pretty well. Um, and then we decided to change our brand. So that brand doesn't exist anymore. 
And what you see now is Derek and Carrie. And, and so we essentially we had to write another book, basically. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to focus specifically on married couples. And so our other book didn't really reflect that. So that's why we had to write this new book. So the title of your book is uh, One, one bed, bed, One, one bank, bank Account. Right, yeah. One Bed, One Bank Account. So let's start with that, because this is a pretty yeah. controversial subject. Yeah, it is. You believe, evidently, that couples need one bank account. <laughs> if they're going to share a bed, they need a bank account. Yeah, well, okay, that's what the book would obviously suggest. Now, that's what we do. That's what works for us. That's what we recommend. However, I'm, I'm not going as far to say that that's what you should do. You know, I, I'm not, I'm stopping right before that. Well, maybe, you know, maybe I am saying that, but you know what I'm saying? What I'm, what, a better way to put it is if, if you believe that having one bed, one bank account mm-hmm. is best for your relationship, we're here for you and we will provide, we will support that and we encourage that and we'll provide tools and resources for that. So we're not, I'm not necessarily trying to convince anybody or change anybody's mind. Maybe, <laughs> but if you're already there, which a lot of people are, then that's cool. And a lot of people disagree. <laughs> right. I haven't read the book yet. Did you cover, did you research you know, the quality of marriages where they have one bank account versus quality of marriage where they have separate bank accounts? Any insight on that? You know, there, there are studies that say, um, I, I, can't, I can't pick um, bring them up right here on the spot, but I did see a study that said, the longer a couple remains married, the higher the chances are that they have one bank account. So the, the longer a couple's married, the, the more likely it is that they have combined finances. That's one study. But I, I, um, and I did, there, the, the book isn't super heavy on stats or studies or anything like that. Our, the, we, we do have uh, our own personal story. And then we tell the story of, I think, two or three other real couples, real friends of ours. So that's what the book is mostly comprised of. I think about the subject a lot, because obviously with financial planning, this is a bit controversial. I, I appreciate that you gave it a little bit of nuance, because I see, a few, uh, I see a few distinctions that really should be made. It's hard for me to imagine how a couple can stay together long term if they are not agreeing on the big picture yeah. plan of their life together. Yeah. Marriage is tough. Yeah. Right? Marriage is I for me. Marriage is tough. Absolutely. It is challenging. And if you're not focused on building consensus and communication about the goals for our family together, yeah. it's hard for me to see how you're not just over time as the natural process of life happens and you drift apart, how you're going to be able to stay together. Uh, go ahead and comment, and then I'll continue. I, I, w- my comment there is, it, for us, and, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to convince anybody or change anybody's mind, but for us, marriage is oneness. Mm-hmm. And oneness can't be separated out. Right. So we're one over here, and yet we're not one over here. To right. me, that's not possible. Right. To me, that's not possible. It, so finances, you're one. Right. Children, you're one. In your, in your bedroom, in the bed, you're one. Right. You know, it, we're not. So to me, if there's any one single area of your relationship where you've separated and, and you're, you're not one, right. well, to me, the whole, the whole thing isn't one. Right. It's got, it's got to be everything is one. You can't separate something out. Right. That's my response. To I that. agree with you. And 
that was that's from the beginning. That's the that's the whole point of marriage is that focus on oneness. Now, when it comes to actually practically implementing that, yeah. in my mind, that would be where it would be important to look at things a little bit more deeply. And so, uh, my wife and I, we share one checking account, and we need, in my opinion, it's very important for us to be accountable to one another because she's in my life for a reason. I need her. She is so much better than I am with so many things. And I would have, if I had been married earlier and I had talked with her about some of my business decisions that cost me a lot of money, I would have made better decisions. Now, it's a bit humbling to, to take that place. You know, it's very humbling for me to talk with my wife about my business decisions because I would much rather say, well, don't you know that I'm Mr. Fancy Pants businessman? Well, I, of course, make good decisions. But I find in talking through things with her, it's really valuable because uh, it's, a, it's a good point of safety for me yeah. to have her counsel and her wisdom. Absolutely. But on the other hand, it is important to have some, it, it's important to have an ability to, I think for each of us, at least for, for us, it's very important that my wife has enough money that she can do what she feels is valuable about without talking to me about every little thing. Right. So, because oftentimes it can feel a little bit overwhelming, I think. If right. I'm, you know, if she wants to buy a milkshake <laughs> and, and she's like, well, I don't know if I can spend the money. Like, I, one of the things, especially in our, I don't know, are you, do you and your wife both earn income? Yes. Okay. So in our relationship, I'm the one who brings in the income to the right. family. And I'm especially sensitive to that because it can be a very challenging thing uh, for my wife if she's not creating income. If I'm holding money over her and saying, we've got to be accountable for right. every dollar, in my mind, that's a not a healthy uh, aspect for a relationship. So right. even though we have one bank account, I think, and that helps us to agree on the big picture, uh, if possible, if there's enough money in the family budget, I think it's important for her especially and for me to have some money that's not accountable to the other person. Right. Oh, well, absolutely. That's part of the plan. So, so our book is One Bed, One Bank Account. And so people, think, well... Um, that doesn't work for us because we need, you know, separate money uh, so that we can do whatever we want with it. Well, absolutely. That's part of our plan. We talk about that all the time. You just work that into the budget. So mm -hmm. that is, it, well, so, well, then people say, well, I'm confused. How is that, you know, my money? And we need to have this separate money right. is what people say. We do that too. It's just worked into the budget. So we just, for us, it's really simple. We do $50 a month that um, is his, her money. And you don't have to ask me permission right. on what to buy. You know, if I want to go buy a milkshake, I don't have to call my wife. You know, it's my $50. Right. And so in that way, it is a little bit separated out, but not really. It's agreed upon. Right. So we have agreed uh, with this money, you can do whatever you want. So, it, so therefore, we don't have to be so uh, micromanaging, you know, over each other. It's worked into the budget. We all have some things that we do with money that are probably a little bit frivolous. If we had to cut our budget to the bare bones, there are things that we could cut out. Oh, but yeah. those things add to the quality of life. Sure. And it's important to account for those. And at least for us, having some wiggle room, I think, is very important, especially oh, yeah. in the dynamic 
of, and this is where many people ha- come, this is in my observation, many people come into the question of uh, where they each earn an income and say, well, I get to spend my income. Right. And okay, you know, I see that, but especially when you're in that dynamic like my family, where there's one income source, right. it's got to be careful about, uh, about handling that well. You know, that's, uh, that's interesting you bring that up. And here's what, uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, and you might experience it in the future, but there's a lot of couples out there that um, the income earner switches back and forth several times throughout the marriage. So let's mm-hmm. say, for example, there's a young couple, and um, let, let's say that the wife ha- has already graduated from college, and mm-hmm. she's working and earning an income. Let's say that they're married, and he wants to go back to grad school. Well, so she's the income earner, mm-hmm. and he's not earning an income. And then he graduates, and then for a few years, they're both earning an income, and then they decide to have kids. And let's say that she decides to stay home. Now he's the income earner. And then let's take it out a little bit further, and let's say that in a few years, let's say he gets laid off. And then she has to go get a part-time job. So it, it goes back and forth. And this happens to lots of couples right. where it goes back and forth uh, to varying degrees. And so my thing is, okay, if you're going to keep separate accounts, it's just going to be like this constant battle. Right. You know, well, I'm earning the, the money now. Yeah, but in a year from now, I'll be the one earning the money. So what does it matter? It's all going to sort of even out. And it's not even about it evening out. It's just about being one and being a team. So I'll earn the money for this season of life, and maybe next, maybe later you'll earn the money for a season of life. And I don't want that to, to affect our relationship in a negative way. I want that to be a positive. And this takes advantage of one of the primary aspects of marriage. Marriage, if you look at the statistics, married people are overwhelmingly more likely to be richer than single people. Yeah. And I think there are multiple reasons for that. One of the reasons is for the uh, efficient use of dollars for expenses. Two people living together and sharing expenses is a much more efficient way to handle family expenses than one person right. living alone or two individual people living alone. Uh, also, if you look at the actual psychological effects, the benefits of marriage, married men make more money than single men. Married men uh, it have, are, are happier than single men. Uh, I don't know, uh, I have not researched in depth the statistics on married women, so I can't quote those. Right. Uh, but I, my, best, my bet is that they would be... Maybe so- they're unhappier. <laughs> I don't know. I don't believe so, but I just want to acknowledge when I haven't researched something. Sure. <laughs> but married men, are they live longer, they're happier, yeah. and they're richer. So a lot of that comes from having a clarity of focus and a place that our family is going together. And when you put the energy into a shared goals, then it can really create a lot of power behind it. Yeah, it's, it's not simply, as you're saying, it's not simply the mechanics of it being cheaper to say, quote, to, to, let's say have a roommate, you know, because that's right. kind of what you're describing and just the purely financial mechanics of it. It's like a roommate. Well, of course, your, your rent's going to be half, right? right? But it it's goes beyond that. It goes into the emotional, the psychological, and even the um, just, I find that accountability. Right. And, and, and that we're, like you said at the beginning, we're a family unit and finances is part of this business Mm-hmm. Uh, relationship that we have. And so if you don't have a quote, uh, uh, in this example, a business partner, you don't have somebody to encourage you and to maybe motivate you and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot that that is to be said for uh, being in a marriage and not only being in a marriage, but counting everything as one 
and for that to produce not only these mechanical financial benefits, but also, I, don't, I mean, psychographics and emotional and uh, behavioral and all of those things that come from uh, being one with your partner on, on every level. There are some additional finan technical financial planning considerations that I don't want to go into right now that I could also make an argument would lead to individually titled accounts. Uh, some right. reasons why uh, it can be helpful for a couple to have uh, individually titled accounts. Sure. But the general press, I think, of moving together and moving towards the same goals is important to acknowledge. And I'll go over on another date the reasons to have individually titled accounts and right. how that can be helpful. I want to move on to the topic of communication and ask you about what you have learned. So you have been coaching some friends and you've written a book on the subject. What thoughts and ideas do you have around uh, what are the major problems that occur in communication? How can couples work at that? You know, there's a lot. The first thing that comes to my mind is what, what I see usually happening is, happening is, let's say a couple has been married for however many, let's say two years. What, what usually happens is one or the other will get super excited about money. Mm -hmm. And what, where a bump in the road can be if you're the one that gets super excited about money, but your partner just hasn't gone there yet. Right. You know, they're just not excited. They haven't caught the budgeting bug yet, you know. And so sometimes bringing that up, the way that you bring it up is probably the most important. Because chances are you're right, quote, you know, you're, the, you've got this idea that, man, we need to get on a budget. Man, we need to pay off our debts faster and, and we need to be paying attention to our mm -hmm. money. And your partner is like, huh, what? When you bring it up to them, Sometimes they can get defensive, right. and, and you think, oh, you're accusing me of, you know, it's, it's very personal. Right. Oh, you're accusing me of making dumb decisions, and, and oh my gosh, you know, there, there isn't any problem. I don't see the problem yet like you do. And so the approach is, is very important. So we suggest, um, we suggest not approaching in an accusing way or an aggressive way or anything like that, but just simply saying something like, hey, honey, I, I, I started looking at our money, and I think that maybe it would be helpful for us and our relationship if we take a look at our money. That's it. You don't even have to say do a budget. You don't have to say we need to stop spending money on all these things and we need to stop eating out because your, your partner, if they're not excited about it yet, can see that as sort of threatening and say, oh my gosh, they're about to take away everything I love. You know, they're about right. to tell me I can't do this and do that. Right. So that approach is really important. How do you overcome a bad reputation? What do you, what do you mean? Ex explain. So, what do you mean? <laughs> let's say, because I've observed this often happens. I have... Let's put it on me. So I've been <laughs> wasteful. I've been frivolous. I've spent money constantly all over the place. And then all of a sudden, I turn on you know the Derek and Carrie show, and I'm all excited about money. Or I turn on Radical Personal Finance, and all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, we're going to get our money. Or I turn on Dave Ramsey, and we're going to get out of debt. We're going to do these certain things. And so all of a sudden, I get excited. And then I come to my wife, and I tell her, listen, honey, I've got a plan. We're going to get on a budget. We're going to pay off our debt. Like, we're going to do all these things. And the first thing that needs to go is you need to cut back on the groceries. Uh, you need to stop spending so much money on clothes. And yeah. we're going to sell your car because it's the one that we have the big car payment on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think? You know, I think you've, you've got to see the, the goal. So you've got to see what the result. You can't just focus on 
cutting back and doing without and all the negatives and I because I, I don't I don't view them as negatives it's it's a it's a higher purpose that we're going for here and so if part of the plan is cutting back on, on groceries it's that don't stop there we're not just cutting back on eating out it's for this other reason there's all these other goals that you're trying to go for and when going out to eat too often is preventing you from reaching all of these other goals that you care more about mm-hmm then it becomes easier to cut back in all these other areas because you see what you're going for. And really, it, it comes down to, I, 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 you can't change anybody's mind or change anybody's opinion. They, they, that's up to them. But when they see, holy cow, going out to eat constantly is preventing me from paying off my debt or preventing me from paying off this car. Or if we just cut our you know, food bill in half, we could start saving more for retirement. Once you get excited about that, it makes cutting, in this example, going out to eat, it makes it really, really easy. And that was one of the things, that was actually the first thing for us when we did our monthly budget. I, I would have guessed, in fact, we did this, we kind of guessed, like, oh, how much do you think that we spend going out to eat every month? I guessed $100. <laughs> And then we did a recap from last month. It was 450. <laughs> so, I, so I don't know if that number is shocking to anybody. To some people, they're like, oh, 450 is not that big a deal. Forget about the number and focus on the fact that I was off by a factor of three and a half. Right. I was three and a half times right. off. Right. So that was, that's huge because that's the mindset behind what was going on before we were doing a budget. That, that's just a mindset of, oh, yeah, we're, we're probably spending 100 bucks. Oh, no, 450 and I didn't even know. And so where that, where that really got my attention was I was allowing myself to do something that had I known I was doing it, I never would have allowed myself to do right. it. So I was, I was out of control and didn't even know it. Right. Didn't even know it. And right. I was out of control. That, in my mind, is exactly the first place to start because is simply finding out where you are. You, yeah. you notice this if you talk with people about weight loss. And oftentimes what happens is we just simply don't get in tune with ourselves until all of a sudden we see a picture from a wedding that we went to and yeah. say, who is the fat dude next to the pretty lady? <laughs> oh, wait, that's me. Or you, know, you step on the scale and say, wait a second, I was 200, now I'm 260, and I didn't even realize that. Or you, you find out your blood markers. Same thing with money. Yeah. I don't see how it's possible. And the first step in any kind of change is to sit down and start with having an idea of where you are and starting with how much money do we have? What's the value of our assets? How much are our debts? And how much money are we spending on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? And just simply looking at that. And if you just do that, I think you can coach yourself to anything else. Oh yeah. That's where the light bulbs go off, man. That's where just the aha moment. Because we're not stupid. We just don't pay attention. Right. Like if you, if you, we're not stupid people. If we sit down and look at the numbers and say, oh, this is good. Here's what I'm spending. Ah, that's not really in line with my goals. Or look, this is in line with my goals. We're just busy and we don't pay attention. Right. And you're exactly right. We're not stupid. So anybody can do a budget. In fact, you, you could go online and figure out how to do a budget, obviously, without a financial coach or without... Uh, without any assistance whatsoever, anybody could figure out how to do a budget. 
anybody. But it's it's the motivation. It's the aha. It's the you know the moment when you go, oh my gosh, if we keep paying the minimum on all these debts, it's going to take twelve years. You know, it's it's that moment when you finally when you finally come to. And then the rest of it, you can figure out. Now, maybe, maybe you'll hire a coach or something to get some assistance, and it's, and it's often a good idea. But you're, you're right. We're not stupid. We can all do this. It's just that, it's that motivation. It's that why that you've got to get for yourself that, that then will motivate you to then do a budget. Walk me very practically through a month of money management in the Olson household. Yeah. What tools do you use? How do you manage things? How do you talk together? What are the very practical steps that you and your wife take yeah. with regard to money to get to manage it together? So let, let me answer it this way. Let me let me go back to the very first few months because we did a little bit differently back then, um, and it's, it's not that different now. But I, I want to say this for a reason. The the very first, I think, six months. We actually used pen and paper. Mm-hmm. We didn't even use a spreadsheet or anything. We used a calculator <laughs> and a pencil, not even a pen, a pencil so that we could erase. And, and, and we wrote down, you know, we would do like, so we would print off our bank statement. We would go through with another scratch sheet of paper and write mm-hmm. down all the categories. And we would add everything up with a pencil mm-hmm. and a calculator. And then we would uh, put it into a uh, spreadsheet on paper. I loved doing it like that because it just felt so much more real. I felt involved in this in the in the process and it was real whenever we would write down, you know, 400 restaurants, $450. Right. And when I had to write that down with my own hand, it was like, "Oh gosh, you know, I'm really feeling this." Instead of say for example, and I'm not against like like any of those apps that do the adding for you or they reach into your bank account and they categorize everything for you, that's fine. That's not for me because I want to be involved. Right. I, say, I often say that that's like letting somebody else study for a test that you're going to take. Not very helpful. You know, you can kind of see the, the, the relationship there. So that's, that's how I view that. So we print off the bank statement. We put everything into a category from last month to see how we did. And then we do a new budget for next month. So then if you fast forward another month, we've done a budget for that month. And then we again print off the bank statement for, for what is now the, the month that's gone by. And we find the difference. And that's where I think, I think that's the most important part. Because if you do a budget and then you don't do a recap, it's like you're missing half the equation, you know. So you do a budget, you do a recap, you find the difference between the two to see how far off you are. That's where the, I think the true change and the learning really takes place is the difference. If you start with the manual process, then you can internalize how it works. Yeah. And probably a good example would be, there's a reason why we teach young men and women how to add and subtract and multiply and divide by hand. Right. And then we introduce the calculator. There you go. We hate, I hated that when I was in third grade. And it's like, well, look, the calculator does it. I don't need to remember it. Right. I've paid the price since then for my laziness at internalizing the manual process. But if you internalize the manual process and then you add some tools to it, you'll be able to consistently do it. And when you're trying to get control of an area of life, the first thing is awareness. Yeah. So if I'm trying to get control of my time, the very first step is, where is my time going? And I right. find the more manual I can make that process, the better. Yes, it takes longer, 
But taking longer is not bad because taking right. longer is focusing me on something that I've said, this is important. Yeah. And it's across t- uh, time management. It's across dieting. The first step is awareness. Write down. Keep yeah. a food log. There's no diet out there that doesn't start with a food log. I mean, I'm sure there's some. But I mean, yeah. the, no, that's common to all. Same thing with money. Start with awareness. Absolutely. At yeah. this point, do you still do it on paper? We use a Google Doc spreadsheet. And it still looks, I mean, it looks almost just like the paper one that we used to use, but we still, so we, um, we still print off the bank statement from last month. And then this, basically the only thing the spreadsheet automates is really two things, I guess. We did a formula where we can put in each expense into the category. Mm-hmm. And, the, and those, if you can visualize the spreadsheet, those goes, those go out to the right and then they add up and put it into the uh, column, you know. And then, so we have the what, what happened last month, and then we do a budget for this month to, to the column to the left, and then the column to the right shows the difference. So it, it does a little bit of the automation just as far as the addition and subtraction, but we're still punching everything in. Have you tried so. using YNAB? No. You should, because... I've heard it's great. I am a longtime spreadsheet guy. For the last five years, I've managed things with an Excel spreadsheet. And a month and a half ago, I was uh, deciding to, uh, and and the first time I saw YNAB, I thought it was just a spreadsheet. A month and a half ago, I put out a call on the show for people to suggest potential sponsors for Radical Personal Finance. Uh I got, I think, over a dozen emails from people saying, you should call YNAB, YNAB is awesome. So I went ahead and downloaded it, started to use it. It is fantastic. I've heard. And yeah. so try out the free version It is, and, and just see if it helps you because it is exactly focused on those two things that you want, the tracking of last month and the budgeting of next month. Right. And they've, it's, it's the best I've seen. I wish I had been using it the last few years Man, instead of my spreadsheet. YNAB has like, almost like a cult following because everyone that right. uses it loves right. it. They're not just like, eh, it's okay. I didn't they're get like, it until a month it. and a half ago because I thought it was just like it used to be. I preferred envelopes, uh, but they're too expensive. Uh, I wasn't willing to pay the price because they pay a monthly fee. Uh, but once I started a month and a half ago and I've been using it since then, I get it. They did a, uh, they yeah. did a great job with it. So Is it still just the one-time fee for One-time fee. I yeah. think it's 60 bucks. Uh, yeah, one-time fee. Uh, for that. So check that out. Yeah, we will. We, yeah, you know, I mean, I've considered because the one thing that is missing from, from what we do now is um, basically like a, I, I don't know if YNAB even does this. Maybe you can tell me, but like uh, percentages and a pie chart and graphs, does it do that? They do. They have a, yeah. they have a reporting function. Here's why YNAB is great. And here's what's missing with most of the budgeting things. Mm-hmm. Um, with my spreadsheet, if we were over budget, it's not easy to say, well, where's that money going to come from? But YNAB makes it simple right. to do what they call the zero-based budget. So if you recognize that we had budgeted $400 for groceries, but we had a couple people over and we, we made some fancy food and now it was actually 470 you can mentally just quickly say, okay, where am I taking that money from? And you can easily adjust that other category and you know where you're taking the money from instead of saying, oh, well, we were over budget. Right. Because that's what happens. You get, oh, well, we were over budget. Yeah, but what do you the do? Point? Yeah. You know, we're not, it's not like you're in second grade and the teacher's going to smack your hand if you get over budget. Uh-huh. Like, we're adults. It's our money. <laughs> and so it's not a matter we have to feel bad because we spent too much money. It's not about feeling bad. It's about saying, okay, I am aware that I chose to spend more money here than right. I had planned on. Now, where am I going to get that additional money from? Because that's the thing is that it's going to come from somewhere. Exactly. And so when you 
like you're saying, when, then you, you have to, it, it, kind of, it kind of, what I'm hearing you say is it kind of forces you to choose, okay, where are you going to pull that 70 from? And it's, that's a good thing. That's not a, you know, shame exactly. on you. It's a good thing because that 70 came from somewhere. Exactly. It, it just, by default, it, 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 it just does. And so it forces you to kind of think, at least think, about where, where did it come from? And then you, I think it, uh, um, the the pro the program, almost it almost forces you to, right? That's how mm-hmm. it works. It's like yeah. okay, you have to. So with ours, with just a spreadsheet, we we try to do that. But um, so we do a zero based uh, budgeting. Uh, that's that's the that's the the format, if you will, that we use. But with a spreadsheet, it sort of puts the responsibility on you to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And with something like that, it's like you, you yeah. have to. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't force you to where it's like, okay, you can't use the program, but yeah. you've got this annoying minus $75. <laughs> yeah. And you should train yourself to say, I'm over budget here. Where am I going to take that yeah, money? Otherwise, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be spending more than I make. And I know ultimately that's a problem. Yeah. And the cool thing is by allowing you to build up accounts, I can say, oh, I'm taking this money from my slush fund or my emergency yeah. fund or whatever. Um, final question. What is, so you've written a book with your wife. Yeah. This puts a tremendous responsibility on you because now you've got to practice what you preach. <laughs> I'm curious, what is the area that you guys are still working on where you feel like, man, oh, we man. just aren't doing great in this area and we're re- trying to figure it out? Yeah, and, and, and man, like that's, I'm, I'm glad you, that's kind of a tough question, so I'm glad you asked it. We, we try our best to practice what we preach, but we are just like a, any normal couple out there. We don't always get it right. We make mistakes and all that, and we try to be really honest about that on our podcast. In fact, we post our monthly budget every month on our, on our blog. So when we make mistakes, it's out there for everyone to see. Actually, so the, I would say the biggest thing that we're, ch- we're struggling with right now is Carrie and I both work for ourselves. So I sell the books. I do the majority of our blog business, DerekandCarrie.com. Mm-hmm. Carrie is a voiceover actor. And so she does like commercials, radio, TV, online stuff. So the thing that we're probably struggling with right now is we're both self-employed. And so the income is irregular. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, that puts a whole dude, That is. takes budgeting to a whole different level. Yep. And we've, we've only been both self-employed for uh, like seven months now. So it's still very new. So the whole irregular income thing. Oh, it's a huge struggle. And, and I, I make no claims to be any sort of irregular income budgeting expert. It's, to, it's still new to us. So we struggle there every single month. I've done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I share the struggle for years. I just said I don't budget simply because there's with my income, there would be months. I think my biggest month I made over 30 grand. I think I made like $36,000 one you. month. And then I had months where I made zero. And then the next month made you zero. made zero. Yeah, yeah, man, it's crazy. And so <laughs> you learn, and it's just so tough to do it. And this, this whole show is turning into a commercial for YNAB. But <laughs> after I've been using them, I, I really like it because I still have an irregular income. But one of the cool things is it allows you, what their software does, is it allows it to project forward yeah. and see how many months, basically, of expenses are sitting in the checking account. Right. And so you can not only budget for one month easily, but you can also budget for coming months. Yeah. And you can kind of see when the problems are there. So That's good. Th- it might be helpful yeah. for you. Um, <laughs> Jesse Meekham should be very happy with our, <laughs> with our massive YNAB commercial hey. here. 
So um, tell us about uh, DerekandCurry.com. Tell us about the book, where people can get it. I, I haven't read it yet, but I plan yeah, to. And then sure. uh, I'll try to do a book review when I get it read. That'd be great. So the website's DerekandCurry.com. That's D-E-R-E-K and C-A-R-R-I-E. The book is there. The book's also on Amazon. Again, it's One Bed, One Bank Account. There's a book and there's a workbook edition too. Awesome. So they go together as a pair. Uh, you, can get, you, can get the, uh, you can get them together as a combo on the website. And then we do have a podcast where it's, it's Carrie and I, both every single episode, the two of us together. That's on iTunes, Stitcher, our website. It's called Better Conversations on Money and Marriage. And so we just, every week, it's about 20 minutes. And we just pick a topic that's related to mostly to married couples or people in a relationship as it pertains to finances. And we just talk, we keep it real. It's stuff that usually it's stuff that we're going through too. So hopefully it's relatable and people say it's encouraging and people even say it's fun. So <laughs> tune in. So helpful because oftentimes in marriage, we feel like we're the only ones yeah. and we feel like, well, I'm the only one has a problem and there's something wrong with me because I love my wife, but yet how do we communicate around this without getting frustrated? And you're not the only one. Yeah. It's a common experience for all of us. And no matter how perfect any marriage seems from the outside, it ain't perfect. No. There's no such thing. Uh -uh. It's just a matter, but it can be improved as you learn skills and develop tools and practice habits that lead to, over time, an incredible growth of the relationship I and could, peace. I couldn't have said it any better. That was perfect. <laughs> Derek, thanks so much for coming on. I yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hope that discussion was useful to you. It's a bummer that we couldn't get Carrie also on the microphone, but <laughs> I'm not sure if, how anybody would ever get me and my wife together on the same microphone at the same time unless it were late in the evening with kids in bed. And that was the reality of the circumstances there at the conference. Uh, in just a moment, there will be special part two of the show. Stay tuned if you're interested in Derek and Carrie's actual kind of radical lifestyle. But I'm going to go ahead and do my little uh, wrap-up comments here. Get over to DerekandCarrie.com. Uh, Derek, D-E-R-E-K, and Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, dot com. Uh, check out their work. Check out their writings. You can find their book, the workbook, and all of that. might be a useful resource for you in your relationship with your spouse. Uh, I hope that you find it helpful. Thank you, each and every one of you who listens to Radical Personal Finance. Thank you for supporting the show. I appreciate that. Uh, check over to on the Patreon page. The goal for September here is to finish the month with a total of 250 patrons. That would be a really, really tremendous milestone in the history of Radical Personal Finance. And I would be thrilled if you would be part of that uh, push. Go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Uh, if you are supporting the show financially, thank you. Uh, if you are not, or even if you are, one other way that I would truly appreciate your help is tell somebody about the show. That is how Radical Personal Finance primarily has grown up till now. And that is my goal as the primary way to continue to grow. I want to continue delivering as much value as I possibly can to you and get you to the point where you're so excited you want to tell other people about it. Uh, the best way to tell somebody to listen is just tell them to go into the app store on their phone, search Radical Personal Finance, and download our app. Free app gives access to the show. That's the simplest and easiest way to tell somebody, uh, especially somebody who might not be a podcast listener. If they are a podcast listener, just have them go into their podcast, uh, what do they call it, pod, uh, podcatcher. Uh, have them go into their podcatcher of choice, whether it's your phone or however it is, and search for Radical Personal Finance, and we should be in most of the major directories. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for, stay tuned for part two, and here that is.
So Derek, we do this whole long interview <laughs> yesterday with Radical Person of Finance. Have this great discussion about couples' finances and all of that. And then we're talking last night, and I find out that you're living in a travel trailer. <laughs> Forgot to mention that radical part of our lives. Yeah, that's, just, that's what the show is about. And I said, there's no way in the world that two working professionals who are living in a travel trailer are not coming back on Radical Personal Finance <laughs> to tell the story. So, dude, what's the deal? Tell me the details of this, the path. Because we, we didn't go into detail on this right. yesterday. From the corporate world to independent entrepreneurship. Oh, man. That's a really long answer. I'll try to keep it short. Um, I'll actually start with when Carrie, so I had previously quit my job two years prior and then Carrie, my wife, got into voiceover acting and that allowed her to work from home. She replaced her salary within three months of starting voiceover acting and quit. Dude, that's not no normal, right? No, like, that is not normal. So what? how did she do that? She... Uh, she got a coach okay. who had been a professional voiceover actor for 17 years, and still is. Uh, so that really helped uh, because voiceover acting is acting. It is not easy. People think, oh, you know, you just talk on the radio and just, uh, you know, say the words. No, you're acting and you have to get into character. Anyway, so she did that. She started auditioning on a few websites that are specifically for voiceover. She had uh, success, and she landed a big client early on, and she continues to get hired almost every single day, and uh, it's, it's gone really well. So that allowed her to come home, but it also uh, is basically independent location working, so she can do that from any anywhere. And so she does the voiceovers from our travel trailer. Wow. Yeah, and she started off doing it from the bathroom, Really? Of the, we would hang up these um, really heavy, they are specifically acoustic uh, blankets okay. or acoustic sound deadening blankets. And we would hang those, drape those over everywhere in the bathroom. And she started off doing it in there. And then we built an actual booth that is uh, In your travel trailer. Yeah. It's collapsible. Oh, okay. So we can collapse it down and actually store it on the bed during the, or, or whenever we are not using it. And then uh, she can set it up to do it, uh, her voiceover in the travel trailer. So she's doing TV commercials or mm -hmm. reading audiobooks. She like, hasn't. She actually hasn't done any audiobooks, but she does mostly. She's done some radio, some national radio campaigns. She's done a few television spots, local, nothing national yet. And then a lot of it is actually just online stuff. So things that would be maybe internal explainer videos is the mm -hmm. hot topic. Like if uh, a um, company is coming out with a product and they want to do just a little uh, just a little intro video mm -hmm. that explain you know the, and, and so when you think about it those are everywhere oh yeah i mean it, it, it's funny where you think we didn't realize how big the voiceover industry is but when you start thinking about it voiceover is absolutely everywhere oh, online yeah. radio tv uh, cartoons waiting on hold at your local Comcast. She's, she's done on hold stuff. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's got a specific name. I can't remember. It's not called on hold. It's there's actually a specific like industry term Interesting. for the on hold, uh, you know, press one for this press right, two right. for that. You know, there's like a whole industry just for that. Does she just record the audio and send out a raw file or does she edit it and add the compression and do all that stuff too? It's about half and half. So actually, like, it's kind of funny because a, 
but it makes sense. A smaller job, she does most. She'll do all the editing because okay. they don't have like an in-house person. So that kind of makes sense. A bigger-paying job, like a huge client, they just want the raw file, and then they have their own engineer. Okay. So it's actually easier for her to do a bigger job because right. all she has to do is voice and send the raw files. So it's kind of interesting how it plays out. Um, techno geeky here. What kind of gear do you, does she use? She uses a condenser mic. It is a AKG Perception 120. Okay. And that thing only costs like 100 bucks. And she just records into a laptop or into an audio recorder? Um, uh, sh- I'm not sure what program. She records right into her, her Mac. So she doesn't go into a digital record. She goes right into a program. I can't remember the program. So a microphone and a computer and that's it. And Dude, a sound booth. Yeah. So her and we already had most of that because we're podcasters. Mm-hmm. So we, we already had almost all of the equipment. So her startup cost was almost was was. I mean, if you want to count her coaching because she paid for that, um, and then I think she bought a software that she's actually no longer using. Her entire startup cost was less than five hundred dollars, and she was profitable within three weeks. And it's and it's mostly. I mean, her profit margin is like through the roof because. There is no overhead. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're living in a travel trailer. Yeah, there's nothing, man. <laughs> and the only overhead, I guess, is uh, somebody to babysit your daughter when, mm. when it's time to record, and that's Which you. Which is me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the coaching made the difference to her being profitable Coaching so was huge because it is acting. I can't stress that okay. enough. You're not just reading a script. You're acting. You have to get into character. You have to think, okay, I am a early 30s single mother who is busy and wants to buy this product because it will make my life easier right. like that's a certain character and that's right. that's almost not even a character it's a real human being right. that's trying to identify with this and and there's so much to it. it it's acting there's so much to it you need to try to connect with the um person who is potentially going to purchase this product you need to get inside their mind. Uh, it's the whole, like, give them an actual name. Like, you know, Janelle is 32, and she's a single mother and whatever, you know. So she does a lot of that. And she's just, Carrie, my wife, is just really good at, she, she was already good at getting into character in a funny way. Um, and so she had never done any acting or anything like that before. But she was, she was also very naturally gifted in that way. Great. So where did the travel trailer idea come from and yeah. what was the process? Because you guys are just normal people living in a normal, you know, yeah. normal suburban house or whatever, right? Yeah. So we had a house. We were renting and it all kind of uh, fell into line at the same time. So she quit her job uh, in October. Our lease was up the, uh, the last day of March. So you could say April 1st. And uh, we just didn't renew our lease, and we spent a, a few months getting rid of things. We, got, we literally got rid of 75 80% of our, all of our possessions. We sold or got rid of 80% of our possessions. We put another maybe 10%, 15% in a friend's basement. So there is a little bit of stuff in my friend's basement. And then we took about 5% of everything that we had previously owned we brought in our travel trailer. Our travel trailer is 133 square feet. Little one. It is tiny. Okay, so we brought some clothes, some stuff for the kitchen, and that's it. 
So like a scamp <laughs> or a, like what is it? It's called a what is it? It's 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 a coachman. Okay. So it's not quite as small as a scamp. Those okay. are tiny. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a little bit bigger than a scamp, but it's it's small. But it's got everything we need. It's got everything we need. It has a bed, it has a full bathroom, it has a uh, has a shower, a toilet, and a sink. It has a refrigerator and separate freezer, microwave, oven, stove, sink, and then it has a b- whole bunch of storage, a whole bunch of storage. <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> tiny, you know, feels like it. And then it's got a couch. Smoking like a true yeah. RV. <laughs> it's got tons of storage. Um, it feels like it. It really does feel like it has tons of storage. And then it has a couch that folds down into a bed, which is, I'm telling you, extremely comfortable. I was so surprised at how comfortable it was. I was like, I took one look at it and I was like, yeah, that's nice. You know, it folds down into a bed, but I'll bet that thing is so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly comfortable. Is this a bumper pool or fifth wheel? <laughs> bumper pool. And how much did you pay for it? $5,800. Wow. We, we stole it because we had been, that's a cool story. The way we Don't found tell it. Don't anyone if you stole it. You shouldn't admit that on the air. That's not very good. <laughs> Sorry. We stole it. Um, we looked forever online. We looked at, I mean, we literally looked at thousands online. That sounds like a lot, and it is, but you can look at a trailer for five seconds and know that it's not the right one. Okay. So you can look at a thousand pretty quick, actually. Right. And we looked for four months. Wow. Okay, so online. And then we looked at about, I don't know, 50 or 60 in person. But then my wife, Carrie, the voiceover actor, she had a alert set on craigslist i don't even know how you do it but somehow she did it and and she would get an email when a specific criteria of of you know this amount of money this size this whatever so when somebody posted that she would get an alert so she got an alert and she emailed this guy within 15 minutes of uh because she knew she was like this is the one because we had looked at so many. You knew the market. You knew the conditions. You exactly. knew the price points. Exactly. And she was like, this is the one. This is the one. And we, it was a Saturday or a Sunday. I can't remember. And, and it was being stored at an indoor storage facility that was actually closed on the weekends. She emails the guy. He said, the earliest I can show it to you is Monday. And we said, we want to be the first ones to see this. When does it open up? And he said, like 9 or 10 or something. We showed up right when it opened up. We looked at it and we put down at a, we gave him a two, we brought $200 cash with us because we were pretty sure this was the one. Mm-hmm. So we gave him a $200 cash deposit to hold it for 24 hours. And we actually ended up buying it later on that day because we awesome. knew it was the one. That's awesome. Where was the original, what was the genesis of the actual idea to live in a travel trailer? Was this, did you yeah. always want to do this or? So I, I guess it kind of, it kind of goes back a few years. I, I went through an, a, a obsession with tiny houses, you know, and I would watch YouTube videos about tiny houses for hours. I would watch YouTube videos about tiny houses and I was just so obsessed with them. And then that was, I mean, that was three years ago, four years ago. And we never pulled the trigger and it was like, you know, that'd be cool. But man, you know, it it just almost sounds impossible. Fast forward and, and, lo and behold, it's, this is so funny because I didn't, I was obsessed with tiny houses and I'll be like, that's, that'd be so amazing to do that someday. And then this whole trailer idea came up and we did it. And it wasn't until after we did it 
that I was like, you know what? This thing's 133 square feet. Yeah. We're living in a tiny house. Yeah. But I, di- I didn't quite put it together. Because right, right. I don't know, like a tiny, the whole, the idea of a tiny house and a trailer mm-hmm. are a little bit different. Right. But a, a, a trailer, you know, most of those yeah. tiny houses are on trailers. Yeah. You know? I think so, they're beautiful, but I'd take a trailer every time. Yeah. Like well, they're really cute and really cool. And that's what's attractive about them. Yeah. But as far as the functionality, I'd rather have a travel trailer. Exactly. Cause they're built for that. Right. And, and, and they're, there are, and a lot of people build their own tiny house. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do that. Right. And there's no way I was going to build my own tiny house. So a trailer is, it is. I mean, it's a pre-built. It's already built, and it's and it's got everything you need. And it's even you know a lot of those tiny houses have like a composting toilet. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Th- these have flush toilets. Mm-hmm. Where you, you hook them up to city water, you hook it up to the sewer, and and it's just like you're living inside a house, really. So have you like used this thing, or it's parked in the backside of an RV park somewhere in the middle of Texas, or are you we, actually <laughs> traveling? We traveled full time for two and a half months, full time. We went, we're, we were from Kansas City. We started in Kansas City. We took about three or four weeks to go all the way to San Diego. Okay. We took another three or four weeks to go all the way up to Seattle. So we went almost from border to border, <laughs> which is crazy. Another three or four weeks to get over to uh, actually loop all the way around to North Dakota, back down through Denver, and then back to Kansas City, and then to Oklahoma. So that was all this summer, 2015? Yeah. Okay. That took about three months. And we lived in it full time during that time, and it was amazing. And then we kind of took a little bit of a breather, where we parked it at. It's currently parked at my parents in Oklahoma, and uh, we stayed put there for two weeks. And then we did a short Texas run, and then we went back to Oklahoma, and then we uh, came here. Where are we? Fort Worth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, which I just learned that Fort Worth actually exists. <laughs> always, I always thought it was Dallas. Just, and just Dallas. <laughs> Fort Worth is an actual city, I guess. Yeah. We're in Fort Worth now, and then we will return, and then we'll do a short to and from FinCon, actually. Mm-hmm. To and from FinCon, uh, which is in Charlotte. Get and your then, tickets at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash FinCon. There you go. <laughs> and, and check out YNAP. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. We just pop some affiliate links in it's here all over the place. Inside joke callback. Um and then that'll be it. But we, we love the trailer so much that when we get back to our home base of Kansas City, we're going to hold on to it and live in it. Uh, um, per, per, well, not permanently, but we're going to live in it. What am I trying to say? And not travel. So stationary. We're going to live in it for an undetermined amount of time. We're not going to commit to anything because there's no need to commit to like we're going to live in it for a year. Right. Because it doesn't matter. How it goes. Yeah. Like we just until until we don't want to anymore. Right. And if that's 10 years or if that's a month, time will tell. How much has this lifestyle cost you over the last few months? Oh, uh, um, and I know you've been man, traveling, so you could always do it cheaper. You've been doing tourist stuff, but, but just a, just a guess. Um, I don't have numbers. I meant to keep track of everything, but it was too, I mean, living on the road was a lot more time consuming than we thought it was going to be. But anyway, um, it was maybe my best guess is that it, we were spending $4,000 a month okay. on everything on That's on everything. But you were hardcore traveling. You were visiting yeah. tourist destinations. You were, you were like, you weren't slow traveling. You were, no. you were moving. We, we weren't necessarily doing the touristy thing, but, 
uh, we were moving rather quickly. It was a faster pace than I thought it was going to be. And, um, the, but the really, so, but here, here's something that might be helpful to sort of answer that question is the very, the first month we did nothing but RV parks and that gets expensive. Right. The second month we spent, uh, let, let me just, let me say it this way. The first month we spent an average of $32 a day on RV parks. The second month we spent $32 total on camping and RV parks. Where did you stay? We started doing, we started just doing stealth, what would, you know, boondocking and stealth, stealth camping. camping. Mm-hmm. So we would just pull into a neighborhood yeah. and just post up right there in front of somebody's house. Also, we found a website called boondockerswelcome.com. Mm-hmm. And that is a website that's sort of like couch surfing, mm-hmm. but you stay on another RVer's property. Oh, cool. Either in their driveway or, or their backyard or their front yard or whatever. And you stay there for free. And um, most of the time, they allow you to hook up to power and electricity. And it's free. And we did that a lot. And so that's why our cost dropped dramatically from the first month to the second month. That's awesome. Yeah, traveling is not cheap. Mm-mm. However, depends on that, how you do it. That doesn't yeah. mean that you can't travel cheaply. Uh, you know, the campgrounds, national parks, they're beautiful. They are not cheap. Uh, and when you start doing 30 ducks a day, yeah. and plus you add the gas and the, you know, to yeah. get there, yeah, it's not necessarily going uh, to be a real steal. Tips, experience, honest reflections on traveling with a one-year-old. Oh, uh, yeah. Did we mention that? We, have a, we had our 15, she's now 15 months old. So we actually left right after, we actually, we left the day after her first birthday and then we traveled for four months we've been traveling for four months um the first two and a half was full-time and um tips uh, tips on traveling with a uh one-year-old patience Mm -hmm. (laughs) patience um yeah man i mean you just you just do it it's possible it's doable absolutely i mean and i don't just say that to say like yeah it's maybe maybe doable if you get lucky no it's doable there's a lot of people who are doing it right now we did it right so i'm not saying like oh it's doable maybe if you get lucky no it's doable you can do it so um yeah it worked out fine and it it can give you the flexibility because now that you now that you're planning to stop you've got your trailer you own it you don't have any payments on it right right okay we bought it straight out so so. you own you own the trailer we own our house (laughs) (laughs) and as you're starting, as you're building your business and getting the book out there, getting the workbook sold yeah. and doing all of the work associated with that. And as Carrie's doing the voiceover, there's right. no reason why you can't park it in a friend's driveway for a month. And then your cost of living just cuts to would, $722 or yeah. something like that. Oh, it would be super cheap if we did that. Yeah. And if you can do that in a world of Facebook, the thought I have is just simply in a world of Facebook, if I were going to, especially even now with Radical Personal Finance and you with your community, you could go on and just simply say on the show, hey, I'm coming to Georgia. I'd love to find someone where I could stay for a few days in Georgia. And you can build a wide enough network of people all across the country that you'd be able to to stay with. Totally could. You can really build and be able to cut those costs enough to where you've got the freedom and the flexibility to move everything forward and you're not sacrificing that much. You're living an adventure. Yes. 
That's yeah. very doable. Yeah. Now, it is a little, at least in my experience, it is a little bit challenging to figure out, am I in work mode or am I in vacation mode? Yeah. And you got to learn a new workflow on a daily basis of work versus vacation. Because most of the time, yeah. when we're on vacation, we're used to sleeping in. We're used to doing what we want. We're used to hanging out. If we're traveling, oh, let's go here, let's go there. And it's tough to make, you know, you all of a sudden find out I've been devoting 32 minutes a day to work. <laughs> That's not going to get it done. So if you can find a balance there in some way, you can really build this lifestyle and it can be a perfect win-win way to start a business, cut your expenses, but also be the win because it allows you to have some fun and then build some adventures. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you get, and it's hard to, um, you just got to get out there and jump in and then figure out the schedule along the way because it's, until you, until you're out there, it's really hard to understand and wrap your mind around what that schedule looks like. So you just have to stay flexible and learn as you go. Yeah. Yeah. I would guess, I mean, do you, do you work with the baby? Do you work early in the morning? Is that your time or man? It's kind of, it's our schedule is mostly Carrie works during the day because the uh, auditions and her, her jobs that come in, it's mostly during the day when those auditions are being posted. And they need to be turned around quickly? Yeah, she needs oh, okay. to turn them around quickly. My, what I do with, with DerekandCarrie.com and our writings, that's much more flexible. Mm-hmm. So I squeeze my stuff in whenever it's con- more convenient. And it's sort of like we've sort of built it around her. Right. Because hers is, is the fixed schedule and mine is the flexible schedule. So there you go. Has the internet worked? I mean, you got a Wi-Fi yeah. hotspot, I assume, and 4G, and she's able to do the, it. The the yes. The funny thing is, um, so Wi-Fi is everywhere. Yeah. So most of the RV parks have Wi-Fi because if you think about it, the these people who are traveling full time, they want to be on the internet and they demand Wi-Fi. So a lot of these places, one of the first place we ever went. Their Wi-Fi was faster than it was at our apartment. Wow. It was so fast. I was like, this is awesome. Now, we've been the to a second few place. Pla- yeah. <laughs> we've been to a few places where it was almost non-existent, mm-hmm. where, where they claim to have Wi-Fi. And yep. it's like, you guys shouldn't even advertise that because it was so slow. But we did buy like this ultra, ex- I mean, it was kind of expensive, this Q wireless thing that turned out to not work all that great. What we ended up doing was just, uh, using my iPhone as a hotspot, and that worked really well, really well. So we we never ran into a situation where we were like panic mode looking for Wi-Fi because it's just everywhere nowadays. Yeah. Everywhere. And there's always a solution. I know even just because you're in a fixed fixed situation when you're running an internet business that doesn't mean your wi-fi is is good i switched from i was so sick and tired of dealing with comcast but they were the only uh, the only two providers where i live are comcast and at&t and so i i finally after years of threatening i finally canceled comcast and i started at&t only to discover that my speeds had dropped to i don't remember the number but some abysmal number and I was, you know, I'm uploading these big audio files, not even that big, but I'm uploading these audio files to online. And what was taking 30 seconds to upload now is 37 minutes. Uh, yeah. So I was several days where I couldn't get the, the Comcast to come out to rehook me up. I should go to the library, you know, or yeah. you go to McDonald's. And the library has really great connection speeds. Yeah. There's always a solution. Oh, yeah. Flexible. 
That's Absolutely. the world we live in. And you can plan ahead. And hey, if you miss a job uh, because you had bad Wi-Fi, you miss a job. Yeah, that's yeah. There's a there's a give and take. Sure. Well, thanks so much, man, for sharing that uh, yeah. sharing that story. I just thought it was cool enough. I love to profile those types of ideas, and I thought it was cool enough to to record this yeah, part two fun. of our interview. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.